Hey, everybody. Welcome to Winning at Work. This is Tony Moore, your host. This is episode 90 with Daniel Nicholson. He's the president and CEO of Not A Moo. As we head into Thanksgiving, so much to be grateful for. This podcast, the feedback, the guests, the, the reach, the influence, the messages, the great relationships that that I've made and that other people have made through the podcast, I'm so grateful for. And I just want to give my, my gratitude to everyone this year. I've had over 50 food and beverage executives on the podcast as of this recording right now. And I am so pleased to introduce everyone to Daniel Nicholson. And Daniel has been in the plant-based space for well over 10 years before plant-based really was the darling of Wall Street and investors. When Daniel took over, he had a passion, he had a vision, he had a deep desire to give the world something better. It just so happens that he's able to do that through Not A Moo. What's really unique about Not A Moo is that this is a dairy-free ice cream base from coconut milk. And if you've not done much research into the benefits of coconut milk, this is a good time to do it. And you're going to learn a little bit more about that. You know, it's it's tough being a pioneer because you're out in front dealing with legal issues, dealing with the heavy burden of educating a marketplace. It's been made easier in recent years due to the enormous success of, say, Beyond or Impossible. The investments that they've made the level of education that's occurred with the consumer has really lifted all boats. Inanamu has absolutely benefited from that. However, they stand on their own and not just in taste tests, but industry-wide awards. Inanamu is consistently one of those top three, top five brands that everyone loves. The quality, the flavor, the consistency, and as you're about to discover, the leadership. I'm really excited for everyone to discover what makes Not A Moo one of those upcoming ice cream brands that is sure to disrupt the dairy world or the non-dairy world. And this is episode 90. That's pretty exciting. So we've got a kind of a milestone episode here. As we round out the content for 2021, I want to give you a heads up for 2022, I've already started recording 2022 guest, and we're just now in November of 2021. I've got enough content for the remainder part of 2021. going to be changing the format. I'm going to be shortening the podcast length down to about 25 to 30 minutes. It's going to be difficult for me because I love to talk. I love to be curious and pull out even more information from my amazing guests, but people want to get right to the pith right to the point, get in and get out. Everyone knows my motto, act, learn, adjust. And this is exactly what I'm doing. Sit back and enjoy my great interview with Daniel Nicholson, the president and CEO at Not A Moo. Welcome to Winning at Work. I'm your host, Tony Moore. And today I have the CEO of Not A Moo joining me. Very excited to have Daniel Nicholson join me. This is one of the hottest areas in non-dairy is the uh, plant-based food ice cream. And Natamu is certainly there among those extremely fast-growing companies. And in fact, Daniel was referred to me through one of his um, you know, kind of top industry advisors. We had a great little pre-podcast meeting. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation as we really dig into, you know, how do you 
lead within a fast-growing company, particularly a plant-based company. Daniel, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Tony. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have this chat with you, too. Well, I, you know, every time I meet people from Texas, they just have this attitude of everything's just larger than life. Is this, is this kind of true for you too? Is that, uh, is that what we're going to have to put up with today is Texas is better in, in every category? Potentially, man. Potentially. I, I, I am a born and raised, uh, born and raised here in the state of Texas. I, I do have, um, definitely have some Texas pride in, inside of me, but, uh, I love it. You, you know, but, but but at the same time, we're we're building a plant based brand, so I think you know there there is a there is some complexity to uh, to to my Texan profile for sure. But 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 I am very proud of the of the state and uh, yeah, it's As you be, should be. Be, being born and raised here. Being born yeah. and raised here has been a, has absolutely been a, a a central part of my life. Well, and you went to school, University of Texas at Austin, and then you got your, which is, and you got your background, your undergrad in mechanical engineering, and then you got your, then you went to business school from uh, the, the Macomb School of Business. So you, you haven't, you didn't leave, you know, for college. That's good. Yeah. So I, just b- before we get started, because people are going to probably notice, um, I think you and I talked about this before too, your accent is really unusual. <laughs> it's it's true. I, I don't what? have I the uh, I still typical can't figure southern it out. draw. Yeah, no. I, so I grew up in Laredo, Texas, which is right on the border to Mexico, uh, which has you know it's it's almost like growing up in Mexico more than it is growing up in in America in in many ways, just because of the the influence of the Mexican culture on the area, and I think that's what makes uh, my my accent different than most Texans. That is awesome because this is just an audio podcast. So people are, you know, are going to be kind of thinking, this is kind of cool. This is kind of a, uh, you know, a, a unique, um, a unique <laughs> flavor here within Texas. Yeah. And, and, and people, I, I think you even mentioned in one of our first chats, you're like, are, are you, are you Canadian? <laughs> people sometimes put me on Canada, which is, which is actually pretty, pretty interesting. We're very much closer to the other American border. The exactly. One to the you, south, are, but, uh, you are 180 but, degrees opposite <laughs> of, of, of Canada. Well, not a move has made it in the news quite a bit. And every time I go out to do any kind of research about plant-based food, ice cream, or, you know, non, the non-dairy category, Natamu is always in that conversation. So I'm I'm really thrilled to have the leader of the company here to talk about Natamu. Tell us about the company, the culture, the vision. Um, it's a pretty exciting time for you guys as this market is really, really expanding. Yeah. Oh, so I, I mean, first off. I mean, I think it's I think it's incredible that you've that you've even that you've even heard of us, right? Like we, the way that we have built the brand over a fifteen year period, we're going on sixteen years of, of being in business. The company was founded in two thousand five, um, so as you can imagine, uh, building a plant based ice cream brand in the state of Texas back in two thousand five. Uh, was was a challenge right off the bat, right? Trying to th- this is you know this is dairy country. Our, our state is is a very big agriculture state, and so for us to embark on this journey to 
uh, you know, to, to create a more sustainable planet through, you know, people's health and, and, and planet health through products. Uh, we, we had challenges right out of the gate, really trying to get people to understand way back in 2005, before the dairy-free movement, before the plant-based movement, uh, really trying to get them to understand what is ice cream if there's no cow's milk in there. You know, that, that, that was kind of the first thing that we were, that we were up against, but being, um, having the company founded in a city like Austin and just having such a great tasting product that, that really most people with, when the first time, when they first try it, they, they actually think that they're eating traditional dairy ice cream. Like we have such a good flavor profile, such a good creamy texture, and uh, and just great flavors. Often we create great flavors off of the bases um, that that we've worked so hard to uh, to perfect over time. And so, I, I think you know the it's it, it's been it's been over fifteen years of, of building this brand, really being a pioneer in, in the frozen dessert in the non dairy frozen dessert category. And, and as as we can all see now, you know, as as consumers in twenty twenty one. Um, you can only imagine what, how, how much we have seen and how much we have experienced over that 15 plus year period. Uh, the, the, the way that the consumer trends have shifted drastically and, and dramatically. And, and now it's pretty much uh, commonplace. It's, it's commonplace for everybody to be at least talking about, thinking about um, weaning off of dairy in their diet and, and for the more ambitious, you know, kind of more, e- even more progressive consumer, people are working to consume more plants. And yeah, I think the, the, the amount of time that we've had to, uh, to, to learn in, in, in this industry has really put us in a great position to continue to, um, continue to create value in, in a very fast growing, uh, category and, and industry. You know, pioneers don't often get the credit because no one's following you at first and you're doing all the heavy lifting. You feel like every day you're pushing through granite. It's kind of like when those first railroad tracks went down, it's, it's backbreaking work. You know, you're having to educate your market, you're having to source and look for the unique suppliers that you need to find, you know, your your uh, ingredients that you absolutely have to have. And by the way, in honor of our call today, of our podcast today, I finished off another pint of Nanamu last night. It was the cookies and cream. Good, good work, Tony. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I was digging around in the fr- in the freezer, and I was like, "Aha!" And I kind of just like shook it at my daughter, you know, like I'm finishing this one. Um, because it's still, um, it's still kind of warm out here in Atlanta. So it was a perfect, a perfect way to finish after dinner. And, and I'm a flexitarian by the way. So I think, I think, you know, I see the benefits, you know, and I'm slowly kind of moving my way in that direction, you know, substituting, you know, things here and there, but, but back to the whole idea of, of being a pioneer, when you do the hard work, you're really learning the industry from the ground up. Now you've got this massive wave that's coming. You don't have to guess, right? You're organized. You've got everything ready to roll. You've got your culture, your vision, everything dialed in. Um, maybe tell us a little bit more about 
the culture, your vision for the company, just just how big, how many different categories are you trying to expand into or, or are you looking just to dominate in in this kind of niche area? Yeah. Yeah. So first, I'll, first I'll touch on, on culture. I, I, I think, I mean, myself, when, when I got involved in, in the company in 2008, I was 24 years old. I was fresh out of undergrad. My, my first, uh, my first gig with the company was at the, was working the books. I, I started in the accounting department, worked right under the CFO and was helping get everything organized on the back end. Um, but because I started in the business so early, I think naturally younger talent gravitated toward the work that we were doing in the space. And, and I think that has really informed our culture moving forward. We're very, we're young, you know, for, for the most part. I mean, we, we, we have, we have some, uh, some older team members as well. It's, it's a great balance of, of youth and youth and, and more skills and experience, you know, where we, we think that both are very, very important, especially if we're going to go out there and compete with some of the, the largest, uh, you know, kind of dairy, dairy ice cream brands in the country. And so, but, but culture, culture is something that has been so, so important to us, uh, and, and to our success building the company. Um, you know, that, that, that energy, the, the, the passion for, uh, for really powering a more sustainable planet. Our, our, our product is lower in calories and lower in sugar and has zero cholesterol than uh, traditional ice cream. And, and even when compared to some of our more direct non-dairy competitors. And so you know, like that, that, that passion, that youth, that energy, um, that authenticity that we have brought to the space for over 15 years, I think has been, has been a really, uh, has been a great differentiation point for us. Um, and, and that has really, you know, kind of gotten us to, to where we are today. Um, I'll, I'll touch on, I'll touch on vision too. Like when I first joined the company. Well, but, but before you jump to vision, I, I, I want to touch on the culture piece because I'm just, I'm listening to you. This is a as a purpose slash mission based company. Absolutely, it, it's it is incredibly important that people that join the company are they kind of feel like they're there for a reason. It's it's yes, it's a job too. It's a job. It can be a career, but they at least know they're help advancing a cause that's bigger than themselves. Um, so you really find that. Because you're attracting those type of people who believe in that vision, it's actually propelling the company forward because they they believe in what the company is striving for. I, I, absolutely, as I as I touched on, I mean it's it's been foundational. It's it's a foundational piece, you know, of of our success. Like really getting people to buy into. To, to the work we're doing, we yes, we are an ice cream brand to the to the consumer on the shelf. But you know what drives us is so much more than that. We we really uh, we believe we are doing really really great work and and weaning people off of their 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 uh, their their dairy consumption practices. Um, addiction, and, right? Yeah, 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 that's 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 the better it's word. It's an addiction to that's, sugar. I mean, it's it really is, what it, it is. is. That that's exactly exactly what it is and and we have had some specific food items forced on us for for quite some time. Not, most of the time we don't even know that it's in there. Um, but but because of that our our bodies, our our microbiome, our our, our guts 
crave craves those things over and over again um and and if they're not good for you uh, compounded over time you know it, it creates a lot of the health issues that um that are so apparent here in our country too and i think i think all of that all of that knowledge all of that understanding for our team members is is something powerful and and i think it's incredible when we have a chance to work really hard every day um to do something like you said that's that's just it's it's bigger than it's bigger than us it's bigger than ourselves i think there's so much power in that and uh yeah we we look forward to continuing to attract very talented um you know very passionate people who who want to align their uh, their values with the work that they do every day and i think that's something that we're certainly providing um as as a company at Nautimo yeah, thank you for unpacking that a little bit more. So let's get to your vision because that's the role of the CEO is to set the set the course. And I, I know people would love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, since since day one, I I love the brand name Nautimu. I I love the product. I, I still think we have the best ice cream on the market, the best best all around um, ice cream brand on the market. And the Nautimu brand name, for me, as, as I touched on earlier, I grew up in South Texas, right on the border to Mexico. I grew up speaking English and Spanish. I, I'm of Mexican descent on my mother's side. And so for me, Nautimu, it's the Spanish word nada, and mu, the, 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 uh, the noise that the cow makes, the sound the cow makes. And I just, I, I loved that brand name for one, it just, it spoke to me. It resonated with me on a deeper level. And I love how descriptive it is. All it means is no dairy, right? And so since the beginning, when I first got involved and I was really, really excited about the ice cream, my mind, even, you know, at the age of 24, fresh out of undergrad, fresh out of undergrad, I, I really saw like, man, the opportunity with this brand, um, could far, you know, could go much further than, than just this ice cream product. And it's really nice to be sitting here today. We just got done with our board meeting on, on Wednesday, which is always, a, which is always good to, uh, to, to get through those, those quarterly check-ins with our board. And it's just so great to sit here today, having had those initial visions and dreams when I first joined the company about the potential for the brand and other categories for us to be sitting here today ready to begin to uh, launch some of these new products even outside of the frozen dessert space, right? And so we really, we feel like we can very naturally and easily be a player in any traditionally dairy-run category and just provide that great-tasting, uh, better-for-you alternative for the consumer that, again, we can incrementally continue to turn people away from their dairy addictions, continue to turn people uh, toward a more plant-based lifestyle so that we can all work together as, as people who power this planet. Um, and, you know, we, we want to power it in, in a more positive direction. We, we really feel like it's important to our sustainability here, here on the planet that we all love for us to start making incremental changes and hopefully begin to accelerate the incremental changes that we are taking because there, there is power in numbers and, and we, we have really felt all along, like it's our job as a brand um, to, to enlighten people, to show them how great things can taste 
um, without some of those those ingredients that we've become addicted to over time that that quite frankly aren't very good for us. Well, and coconut milk is extremely healthy. There's many, many benefits. If you just go online and just research, you know, benefits of coconut milk, there's, you know, 10 or 15 areas that it, it's supposed to help increase or improve, you know, areas of, of your life, your health, your, your hair, your skin, skin yeah. you know, on and on and on. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it has become such a such a popular popular ingredient for so many reasons, and and the coconuts really are they're they're super magical. Um, how they you know they grow from trees, you know they can drop on their own. Um, I've, I've I've read up where if a coconut floats out to sea, you know at some point it it, it, it has the ability to float, and if it when it washes up on some other piece of land, that's all it takes to begin to spawn new growth of coconut trees on some new piece of land. And that's why coconut trees are always close to, they're always close to water sources. They, they need a lot of rainfall. So they're always in the tropics and, and uh, yeah, they, they don't take any supplementary water in order to grow, to, to be prepared for harvest. It's all, it's all natural rainfall that powers the growth of, of coconut palms and uh, yeah, it's just super natural, super powerful. Has so many healing properties, and and I think that's that's what's important to us. And in this plant based movement, like we need to begin to understand the power that can be unlocked through the consumption of fruits and and vegetables um, that are so naturally harvested in in our planet's soils. Yeah, I wasn't really aware of you know, how they, they propagated and just how totally natural the the palm is. That's, that's really cool. The, the industry that you're deep, that you're working in is quite large. Um, from what I could tell when, you know, talking about the trends in just, you know, overall dairy or just ice cream in general, your data may be a little different than mine, but I was, I saw something in the neighborhood, neighborhood of 60 plus billion in annual sales. Is that Am I close? Um, that's that, that is. I mean, there's there's all sorts of estimates that are that are floating around there. You know, there's some global numbers, there's some some domestic numbers, but yeah, I mean, the sixty billion is definitely a, a, a figure a figure that I've seen. And and when you when you bring in growth rates, you know, when you bring in compounded growth rates, the the, the writing is on the wall where the growth moving forward. Um, is is going to be on the on the dairy free and, and plant based side. I, I mean, we talk to capital. I talk to capital people all the time that, that very clearly see um, that it's going to be important for them, even if they've been heavy dairy industry investors um, for you know for the duration of their fund's existence. They they are they have a clear vision now that they need to begin to uh, to invest in the the more progressive sides of, of the category because that's where all the growth is going to be and and also for for value driven reasons they they also see the writing on the wall that we are on a crash course um, with the health of our planet. And, and if we don't start making some serious changes and if they don't start putting their capital to work in ways that help drive us forward to a more sustainable place, like they're, they're not, they're not doing their job in the world. And I think it's, it's really powerful when everybody is coming together at the same time to acknowledge and, and understand where we need to go from here. I think that's the only way that this is really going to work out is if we, we, we all work together to, uh, um, 
to make those consumption changes that will take us to a much, much brighter future. You know, some of these plant-based companies, they have taken on capital and they've gotten diluted and it's helped them grow and expand their distribution and their manufacturing capabilities. I don't know what your plans are and, you know, what your strategy has been to this point. You're, you know, if that's something you want to talk about, that's fine. But it's, but what, what I do see is that in the plant-based food ice cream category, all new launches of ice cream, 25% of all new ice cream launches are plant-based. That is, that's enormous. I mean, if, if that doesn't tell the capital markets, this is where to be, you know, they're, they're not paying attention to the trends, but apparently they are. Yeah, certainly. They, they, they definitely are. Um, yeah, to, to touch on our, I mean, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money coming into the food and beverage industry, much, much more than when we first started. Um, we, we, we think that's, you know, it's, it's positive. It, it means that everybody sees the opportunities and, and the necessity, actually, not just opportunities. These are, the, these are necessary shifts that we are going to have to make in our, in our food system, um, again, to propel us forward. But I'll say, I mean, o- over a 15-year-plus period with the company, we've been very, uh, we've been very conservative with, with how much capital uh, we have raised to continue growing the company, uh, m- mostly because we, we think it's just fiscally responsible to do so, to grow things over time, um, to, to be very intentional with, with how that money is put to work and, and making sure that we can uh, we, we can use that money to fund growth and, and new opportunities for the business. But I think, uh, yeah, it's something we're, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty proud of that, that over that period, we've raised a fraction of the amount of money that, that, you know, some of these, some players that are, uh, coming into the industry or almost before they've sold a single unit, they've raised, you know, these, these ungodly sums of money, which kind of leaves you scratching your head sometimes. But like, I, I think we need to also from a, from a fiscal standpoint, we need to balance some of the craze with more practicality um, on, on the investment side. And I think we have been trying to, uh, you know, kind of strike strike a nice balance. We're we're not close to outside capital. We've done a Series A round and a Series B round, um, and and we you know we've aligned ourselves with some great capital partners. Um, but but yeah, definitely taking a much more conservative approach and and making sure that we can uh, kind of sit back and, and look at what everybody else is is doing and how they're putting their their money to work as they're raising capital too. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's it's been a really really interesting time to to watch how the capital markets have been uh, have been interacting with the CPG industry. Yeah, it's really frothy. You know, I haven't seen you on Shark Tank, and I hope I never see you there because <laughs> if, it's if, wonderful. If, which is sixty percent. Yeah, if you see me on Shark Tank, we've we've done something wrong. You, you need I to call say, me. Don't. <laughs> I mean, it might, it might it might be fun to have the experience. Just you know, just don't take the deal. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. And, 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 and to those points, I mean, like the, the, the sharks are, the sharks are out there. Like it's, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a real thing. We, we just got finished, uh, raising our series B round mostly in the middle of a, of the pandemic, uh, which was a very unique experience that I hope I never have to experience again. Um, 
but but yeah, in in difficult times when the market seems a little volatile or there's a little bit of chaos in supply chain, um, yeah, there. I, I mean, there can be a lot of very very opportunistic capital out there. There there's a lot of fear being passed around um, for very clear and obvious reasons. But but yeah, I think it's important for entrepreneurs, for business owners to to very cautiously, um, pro- proactively but cautiously navigate that that capital raising process because yeah there's a lot of bad deals that get that get drawn up and and if you really do care about the work that you're doing and and you want to continue to be a part of the growth and success of 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 what you're building um you have to really navigate that those those potential pitfalls very uh cautiously that's it and i'm glad you said that because your motive is very different than the person who goes out and does all the fundraising and they've not made one unit. Totally different motive. And that's part of your culture. And that's also part of your leadership style. And why don't we dial that in a little bit? Because you are leading a very fast growing plant-based food company. So you've had a number of years, you've gone through, I'm sure, up and downs with the economy and pioneering. So as it stands now, you know, what can you teach us about leadership, particularly in a fast-growing plant-based food company? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say for one, do we I, have enough time? Right? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be quick on it, but you we'll know, have to for, do the condensed version, or we'll have to come back and do a long form because I'm yeah. sure you've got lots of stories. Yeah, oh, there's there's so many. I I took over the the leadership position of the brand in uh, just over nine years ago. I'm, I'm going on a decade of of, uh, of leading the company. Um, I, I was involved with the company through the through the uh, last kind of housing crisis, the financial crisis back in 2008. 2009. So we, we experienced that. We were a very, very small brand at, at that time. Um, in many respects, we still are. But to be, you know, this is kind of my second crisis with the company, second massive uh, global financial crisis to to be at the helm of the company. And, and yeah, what really, I mean, there's, in, in, in my opinion, we all have to kind of find our, our own leadership style and how we bring ourselves together each and every day, you know, wake ourselves up and, and just show up, you know, like a, a big part of it is just showing up and being proactive and, and having that care and, and, and having that, um, that understanding of, of where you want to continue to move and, and how you're going to use your vision to continue to navigate all of these issues. For me, consistency has been, it, consistency is just key. It, it, it really is. I am not, you know, I'm not a seasoned executive. I've, you know, this is the only company I've ever run in my life. Um, but everything that I've learned has been on the job, really just showing up every day and working with, uh, working with our team to solve each and every problem that pops up, be it small or be it large. And it's just, it's being proactive. It's being hands-on. Um, it's being, being, being very available. It's, talking to your people, listening to your people, um, and just making sure that, that everybody as best as possible at every moment in the history of the company, that, that everybody is as aligned as, as is possible, you, you know, people and personnel, you, you have a lot of different, um, 
I have a lot of different personalities within any team or organization and really, you know, finding ways to bring everybody together to, to get the best body of work out of your team is, is critical. And, and for me, it's not, I don't have a magic wand. I, you know, I, I don't have an MBA from some Ivy league school. Um, I have a mechanical engineering uh, bachelor's degree, but it's, it's, it's so much more than that. Like I, I think learning on the job and giving yourself time to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and correct them moving forward. That's, that's really how I have developed my leadership style. It's just, it's very proactive, very consistent. Um, and, and very much, uh, I'm, I'm very much involved. I'm, I'm, I'm involved cause I care about the work I've spent, uh, now over, uh, spent now over 13 years of being involved with this brand. And it's very much a part of my life. And I think, continuing to show your team how much it means to you and, and how far you are willing to go, how, how much you're willing to stretch yourself to continue to create results with, with the team is, is critical. That's, that's kind of been my, that's been my recipe. It's consistency. It's, it's grit, it's fortitude and just being able to continue to wake yourself up every morning and, and, and show up and get back to work. Well, you said that when a problem comes, you kind of bring the tribe together and work with them to solve the problem. Tell, can you tell us a little bit about the maybe the makeup of your executive team? Yeah, so our, I, I mean, we, we have, we have our, our executive team internally. Of course, our, our company is divided out. We have a, an accounting department. We have our, we have our ops department. We have our sales department and we have our marketing department. It's, it's really four key departments that, that run the business. Um, and so we have a, we have a leadership member from each one of those departments on top of our two, uh, C-suite executives are, are the two executives of the company come together. We, we actually meet, uh, twice a month. We meet, we meet every other week to discuss the, uh, you know, the, the overarching issues within each department and, and, you know, really at, at, at that level, we begin to strategize and have communication around how to, uh, kind of move forward with solving what, whatever issues those are. But, but, but beyond that, I mean, we, we do, we do have that hierarchy, but, but I think because our team is still also so very small, like, um, you know, you, you almost need to have hierarchy just so as to not have too much chaos, but the organization feels very, very flat where every single team member has a voice at the table. We, you know, we, we have open door policies. Uh, we, we don't always want to only rely on hearing from the leaders of each of those departments on what the issues are. We, we, we want to give everybody a voice and give everybody an opportunity to let us know, uh, you know, what, what they are experiencing within their roles and, and within their departments and uh, within the company at large. And I, I think that's important. It's important to, to balance um to, to, to really let the decision-making process happen across the, the entire team or, or at least making sure that decisions are made uh, with all of the available information, no, no matter where it's coming from within the organization. Good. So you've got a – sounds like a, a six-person executive team plus you have the influence from the board. 
Correct. Correct. And we, we meet with the board once a quarter, you know, it's comprised of our, of our, you know, main shareholders our, our largest shareholders, um, which my, my, my family is, is still, still the largest shareholder, which I think is really nice. We're a family, still a family owned and, and, and operated, uh, company. And I think that's, that's been really important to us, but bringing out, bringing those outside capital partners in also to provide, you know, to provide strategic value and, and to be a great sounding board as we're making decisions is, is critical too. We have a, we have a five person board that's about to, uh, about to grow to seven just through this last series B round. Uh, we plan to bring in some, some independent directors, um, to, to the board level to, uh, to provide additional, additional value with their skills and experiences. And so, yeah, that's, that's really how, uh, we, we, we have a lot of autonomy. Our board thus far has given us a lot of autonomy on the day to day and month to month to, to, to manage and, and operate the business. And then we meet quarterly and, and provide them with an overview of, of everything that we're experiencing and, and kind of listen to, to their advice on, you know, whether they would do something a little differently or whether they think we should be a little more focused on this issue. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a collective, it's, it's a collective. And I, we're firm believers in valuing each and every stakeholder, uh, we have to value their voice. We have to listen and, and use that information to, to make the best decisions possible for, for the greater good, not just for the, for the, for the good of the company, but, but for, you know, for everybody involved down to our customers, down to our suppliers. That's, that's really the, the way that we think about, um, continuing to, to propel our business forward. So not only are you managing all the executive relationships, managing the board, and dealing with, you know, raising money and dealing with the capital markets, you've been building a dynamic team. And obviously the, the culture there, your vision has helped you attract those purpose and mission-based people. And that's really helped fuel the business. But you're also dealing with the operational side. You still have to create delicious food. You still have yeah. to focus on operational excellence. So when you talk about or when, when you think about leadership, and, and helping those areas develop, how do you manage and influence the actual creation in, in the manufacturing of the food, which would tie into operational excellence? How do you put yourself in those situations? Really, for, for me, it's been, it, it's, again, goes down to, it goes down to hiring the right people. And, and I, I mean, in, in a past life and much earlier stages of the company, I was literally at every single production run because our products, you know, speaking back to the point of consistency for me as a leader showing up every day, consistency in our products is the most important thing, right? We, we have to show up. We're in a very consumer-facing industry. So we have to show up every day for our consumer with quality and consistency. And, and the way that we've been able to achieve that over time is just by, by understanding that that is, you know, that is our bread and butter, the, the, the bread and butter of our company, the, the, the bread and vegan butter of, of our company <laughs> is, uh, is, is definitely, you know, quality and consistency of product. And, and if you have passionate people who love your product, who care about it, um, you know, you put the people in the right places to, 
uh, to continue to ensure that that as we grow, as we scale, that we don't take our 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 sights off of the most important part, and 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 that's that's the product. And again, I think that's that's where the people are so important because as you scale the organization, not everybody is going to care about product the way you did when, when, when I first, when I was first getting going and I was at the production run myself every single day or every single day that we were running product, I was there. I, I obviously can't do that. I can't do that all the time anymore. I have a lot more, a uh, lot more responsibilities on my plate. So you have to be able to, 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 to delegate that vision and that passion for product to a new team member that, you know, loves the product the same way you do. And, and maybe even more as, as a, just as a straight ice cream consumer. And so I think that's where each and every team member, wherever they are within the organization, um, they, they, they have to love our product. They have to understand the, the value proposition of it. And if we don't take care of our products, it doesn't matter all the other great work and decision-making we're doing, uh, we're, we're failing our customer. And, and at the end of the day, no matter, no matter what the board says, no matter what our internal team says, what, what matters most is what our customers say and what they think about us and whether or not we are showing up for them each and every day and, and delivering the best product possible. I believe you said you guys are, are using co-packers. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Is there, what was that decision like, or maybe you've always been with a co-packer or is there ever a situation or a time where it might make sense for you just to take over and, and manage all your own manufacturing? What's, is that a, is, is that a concern, an issue or? So I, I, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll just say we started with the co-packer model pretty, pretty early on. Like, I think it became clear that, that our founder did not, you know, but, but, I mean, to make such a large CapEx investment in your own ice cream plant is, uh, especially when you're very small and not quite ready to scale is that's, that's taking on a lot, right? Like you're no longer a brand and a product. You are a manufacturer and you are a brand and a product. And so we've made a concerted effort over time to not worry about, uh, about owning our own plant. We, we, we put a lot of value into our partnerships, our external partners, and um, we think it's important to not have all your eggs in one basket because things happen, right? And, and we've been there before over time. We've had a co-packer say, hey, you know, we just sold our ice cream plant and we can't make your product anymore because the new owner doesn't want to make a dairy-free product. And we're like, oh, well, now what do we do? Um, and so we, we think the co-packer model is great because we can align ourselves with many partners throughout the country um, as long as we can create quality and consistency in each one of these different ice cream plants, uh, we feel very confident that we can, uh, we can insulate ourselves from potential supply chain, uh, supply chain issues that we wouldn't otherwise be able to, if we were operating our own plant and, and now had, you know, had the FDA and, and the USDA in, in our hair all the time, inspecting, inspecting our plant. That's, it's just a whole nother, whole nother, whole nother issue. And, and I think people have to really be, uh, be intentional about making that decision and, and go in eyes wide open, uh, with, with an understanding of what it means to own a plant and, and how you can actually pull yourself into a whole other business that maybe you didn't initially intend to be, uh, to, to be a part of. You may give up a few margin points, but you can focus 
You can focus on brand. Really focus in on what matters. Yeah, it, exactly. And I think, you know, that's not to say that the co-packer model will be for us forever, right? Like, I mean, in, in this day and time with all the labor shortages and supply chain issues and, you know, you, you name it, we, we've been going through, we've been going through it through the pandemic. It's, it's uncovered a lot of, a uh, lot of issues. Um, at, at some point it might make sense to, for us to operate our, our own plan. Uh, it, it's just, it has never been a priority for us. Um, but it's, yeah, you, you kind of, it's, I, I always say it's really important to have options as, as an entrepreneur. If you're not setting your operation up to have various directions that you can move and pivot into, if, if, you know, one thing doesn't pan out is important. And I think, you know, we, we never have this like singular vision of like, Oh, we'll never own our own plan. If at some point it makes all the sense in the world for us to do that, like we we're, we're open to, uh, continuing to insulate ourselves from external challenges and, 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 uh, you know, really doubling down and taking ownership of, of key pieces that'll help us create a more profitable and, and, uh, more efficient business. You know, as your brand grows and, you know, your culture really is the, the driving or the, the big attractor, you know, to the company, that's when a manufacturing plant, if you can afford it, if it makes sense in your in your budget, that could help you overcome labor problems and supply chain problems because no doubt your culture would be better than, say, a co-packer's culture, right? And I, that could yeah. be one of those advantages, a competitive advantage for you in the labor market. If you don't have to go that way now, that's fine, but I'm sure you've thought about that. Absolutely. Your competitive advantage, your value proposition in a lot of ways is your culture. You've mentioned it all the way through. So I think it's important for people to realize that's that's one of those carefully weighed out decisions. Yeah, no, and and, and just I mean on a related note, I'm, I'm sure you've seen where we have a, we have a scoop shop. We have an actual retail location in Correct. Austin in, in our home market. And that that's kind of been um, that's been our first introduction to running a separate entity, you know, same brand, same products, um, same team. But when you're running an entirely different entity, uh, you, you know, the, the, the labor force that powers our shop is, you know, is, is in many ways very different than our, than our corporate, our corporate office environment and, and really having to unite, uh, unite everybody around around the the corporate culture is is important, but it's challenging. And so I feel like we've already kind of dipped our toe into understanding what that could look like. Um, you know, having that experience with the scoop shop, I think, has definitely given us some some insights into what potentially running a plant could look like. Right, really having that added challenge of uniting all of your people around that common goal, common vision, common culture, even though they're working on different sides of the wall. Um, you know, that that's an added challenge, but, but it's an important one to understand if you want to prepare yourself to, uh, yeah, to be prepared for whatever the future might hold. And, and we just want to continue to make the best decisions possible for, uh, for, for all stakeholders, um, to, to, to maximize, maximize value and maximize value to our customers. Well, it sounds like with all the different plates that you have to spin on a, on a daily basis to keep the company running and on track, it, it sounds like you, you probably are, are using a, a superpower 
to, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of keep everything together. So ha- have you given any more thought to my, my question? What is your superpower? You know, I, I, I'll have to say my initial thought was like, you're, you're really limiting me to, to only <laughs> one superpower. I, so, sometimes I think I have multiple superpowers but just, just after a, a tough week of work, but, uh, no, I've, I've, I I've forgot. Really... I'm dealing with Texas. I should have said <laughs> how many superpowers or, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. name your top five. Name you know, your top I five. apologize, Daniel. I no. totally blew it. No, I, uh, no, that's, a, that's, that's a great question. And I, you know, I, again, I, I, I really humble myself to, you know, to knowing that I, I have a lot of work to, I have a lot of work to do and, and a lot of growth to, uh, to continue to, to take on as I, you know, as, as we navigate the future. Um, but, but I think one of my superpowers, it, it actually became more apparent to me than ever through my journey here with the company that, that my, my, my empathy, my, I really feel like empathy is a, is a strong, innate characteristic that I, that, that I've always had. I, I, I can even tell you a really funny story about, I, I should have known at that moment how empathetic I was as a human but I, I, I want to say it was in the fourth grade. We were reading a book on, uh, I want to say it was on diabetes. And there was, uh, we were reading this story and the poor, the poor character in the book um, had diabetes and was, you know, it, it was intensifying and they got gangrene and they started talking about amputation and all these things. And we're here reading this book in a classroom full of fourth graders with our teacher and I started feeling sick, like really sick. I, I felt, I think my face probably turned pale. I was really just internalizing all of what we were reading in this book. And I raised my hand and was like, you know, teacher, could I, could I go to the nurse? I'm not feeling well. She's like, no, Daniel, like wait till we finish the book. And I'm, and I tried, I put my hand back down, kept diving back into the material. I, it was making me feel even more and more sick. I raised my hand again, you know, please, like, I, I really don't feel well. Would you let me go to the nurse? Um, I think she said no again. And the third time, finally, I think she saw my face this time, saw the urgency on my face. My face was pale. I kind of had even broken out into a cold sweat and she's like, okay, like go, go, go to the nurse. And I go to the nurse that day. My, my, my mom actually worked at the, at the elementary school that I, that I was going to at the time, the nurse starts taking all my vitals and, and asking me questions. She, they, they call my mom into the nurse's office and they ask my mom, like, does your son have diabetes? And my mom was like, no, like he absolutely does not. What are you talking about? Oh my about? gosh. She's like, she's like, he literally has all of the symptoms of diabetes right now. And I was like, holy cow. Like I literally gave myself diabetes by reading a story in fourth grade with my class about a person who was struggling very, very um, significantly with, with, well, with diabetes. Hopefully the symptoms went away, right? And all yes, is well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Things are, th- things are well now, but, but I think, you know, that, that, that experience, uh, you know, I probably didn't really understand it for everything it was now, but I, I have an incredible amount of empathy. 
I think, you know, and, and, and that's, I, I, I run the organization that way too. I, when, when we, when we listen to our people, we try to put ourselves in, in their shoes. We try to view their perspective, um, and, and really just, you know, kind of in, internalizing all of that and, and letting that help make better decisions for the collective, I think, um, has been something that I've, I've used to my advantage, um, through, throughout this, throughout this period. Well, you may have more than one superpower, but I don't think, I, I think you can lead with that. <laughs> yeah. No. no. And I think it's, it's becoming more and more clear in, in, in our world today that, that empathy, um, that, that empathetic leaders are, are really beginning to, to, to lead the way. And whether you're a, an introvert or an extrovert or, you know, whatever, you, you know, Myers-Briggs or whatever assessment you want to take and find out who you are. Clifton. Everyone's heard me talk about the Clifton Strengths Finder. That's the, my, my choice. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, we all have, you know, we're, we're all so different and we're all wired differently. And I, I really think that that empathy um, to, to really ensure that we are leading ourselves down the right path, you know, that we're allowing everybody to really have a voice and, and we're internalizing those feedback loops and, and using it to really make better decisions for the greater good. I think is uh, I think it's going to be critical to the to the future of of the world that we live in, and so yeah, I'm I'm definitely grateful that I was uh, just born born wired for to be an empathetic being, and I I, I really value that uh, that that characteristic very much. I think as servant leadership becomes more and more understood and accepted within the executive ranks, I think we'll find that. The quality and, and the superpower of, of empathy is really needed to be that servant leader. And for those of you who may not identify with being empathetic, I think this is a good example of, of why you do want to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And a servant leader comes down right next to the person and uh, theoretically kind of puts their arm around them and walks with them and helps them through whatever challenges that they're having. You may already have the answer for them, but you're there as they discover what they should be doing. Right. And then they can develop themselves as a person rather than they have a problem and they're not going to come to you and talk about it. The problem festers, um, or maybe you just swoop in and try to fix it and they've not had a chance to grow. So I think the, uh, I, I think your superpower of, of, of being an empath really helps that servant leader kind of flourish, which I think could lead us to our final topic here is, as we begin to wrap up here is in the talent space. And that's, you know, how can you help a hiring leader? And I think, frankly, I think you've already helped a lot just through your, your story and um, your, your backstory and kind of how you manage and run a, a company. I think you've already taught a lot in that space. Um, but I would love to hear kind of your closing thoughts around, you know, how, how could you help a hiring leader at, at this point? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question to be quite frank, as, as, as you know, as you know, very clearly hiring talent is, is, I mean, it's a difficult, difficult task, like really assessing, assessing talent, assessing people's characters, their skills, 
you know, looking at their experience, it, it's really difficult. It's one of the more, I still have not mastered, um, mastered the, the, the hiring process. I think we've certainly gotten better. Um, but for, for me, I mean, w- one of the things that I look at the most, uh, you know, assuming skills and experience are all mostly aligned across a swath of candidates. Like I, uh, when, when I know we have a good field of candidates, I, I really lean more into who do I think will be the best cu- cultural fit? Like who, who seems more like a Nadamu person? Like our, our, our brand has a personality. Our company as currently stands has a certain personality. And so I, I really try to lean in and assess whether or not I can, I can envision that person as working in to the organization as a part of the whole. And, and, and do I really see, do I see added value? Do I see compatibility in their, uh, in their character traits and, and those of the collective of the rest of the, the team members of the organization? Um, that's that. Have that's you created of, questions? Have you created a, a battery of maybe behavioral questions that you like to ask to uncover those character traits? I, I again, I, that's somewhere I can definitely, I could probably use some, uh, use some help in, in, in it's that. very hard. It, and it, I'm not trying hard. to expose, I'm not trying yeah. to expose a weakness here, but by, by any means, because you know, we do it for a living and when we hear a new company, when we work with a new client and we're hearing about their culture, the first thing I I'm tasked with doing is I need to create behavioral questions that aren't leading. I don't want to give away, you know, what I'm going for, um, and, and really elicit some honest, genuine responses from people. And I will tell you when people speak in hypotheticals, then you know they've not experienced it. If they say, "Well, this is what I would do," yeah, 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 it's like okay, they're they're, they're either just making something theory. up on the fly, or yeah, or or they yeah. yeah they have some some inkling of an idea of what they would do if they ever experienced that, and that's not quite that's not and quite enough. That's not quite someone who's living your values. Yeah, and that's sort of the trick. And I, um. You know, perhaps that's uh, a podcast for another time. Maybe I could bring on some career coaches and some people who are who are who've just spent a lifetime of of doing you know just that. And uh, you know, we we pull from those people, we pull from assessments, we pull from you know third parties to kind of dial those questions in because um, it is important. So I appreciate you bringing that up, and I think we can leave it at that. I think. By all means, you focus on culture, but the way to do it, though, is through behavioral questions and just to see have they been living the values. And if they give you very specific examples of how they've lived it, then you have a better idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, one behavioral question, I, I love that you tied in values because I, I, I come up with a lot of questions, especially we just hired a new VP of marketing, which is really, really exciting. Um, but we... I. I I ended up asking a lot of questions that tie back specifically to our five core values as a company, like just making sure that, that I can get a feel for whether or not their values resonate and align with our values by asking questions that tie back to them. But one question that I really like that's more behavioral is like, how do people deal with conflict or with difficult situations and like really giving clear examples of, you know, of, of a difficult moment that they've been through and how they, how they learn to, to, to get through that. And then what, 
proactive steps they took to uh, uh, to to ensure that you know that they put that issue to bed. And I think that's important because conflict arises all the time within an organization people's communication styles, a specific work-related problem. And, and when people don't deal very well with, uh, with those sorts of issues or they become very difficult and are hard to, and can be hard to, to, to work with in those moments, like that can create pretty serious issues. And so that's, that's definitely one that I like to lean into. Yeah. Yeah. And, and toxicity within an organization is, is so destructive. So, so destructive. Bad news. And, I love that you, that's a great example. And I find the trick is, so even when you do come up with the question, then you have to settle on what do you think the best answers would be? And that's going to be different for everybody, but you kind of have to take yourself through, how would you answer it? How do you do it? How have other people done it successfully? So you kind of have a a catalog of these are the three, four best answers or styles that we think someone should handle that problem. And then you kind of assess, you know, you almost need a scorecard really at that point. And you have a, you know, a a one to five, you know, five being the best answer. And you just score people across that spectrum of one to five. And maybe you've got, you know, 10 questions overall. So when someone meets with the entire leadership team, everyone's working with that scorecard and they can go back and kind of look at how they have answered those questions and they've got their, you know, they've kind of given them a number score because otherwise it's very difficult to analyze, you know, candidate A to B to C to D. You have to have that scorecard. Otherwise, well, I I think that person answered that question pretty well. Okay. Well, I can't, you know, I can't make a decision on that. Yeah. 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 It becomes, it becomes way too, uh, too subjective. Too subjective. Yeah. And we're trying to make it more objective. So, well, as we as we are now out of time, let's wrap up with a couple things. Um, do you have any key hiring needs that you'd like to put out for people to maybe send a resume over? And secondly, what's the best way for people to follow you guys? I know you're on Instagram. Maybe you give us some of your handles and people can kind of follow follow you guys and maybe get a, a link to the website for some uh, some great ice cream. No, those are great questions. So definitely marketing is is a major focus of ours right now. As I just touched on, just hired a new leader for that department. Um, We'll probably be looking to make some some additional hires to to round out that new team. We've effectively kind of rebuilding that department because it's a critical part of our growth plan. Um, and we're also diving deep into product innovation. So, so, you know, people with product innovation, uh, experience either on, on the op side or on the marketing side, I think are, are critical, um, moving forward from here. And, uh, what, what was the second part to, to your the question? Handles, uh, like social, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the, the best place to go, if, if, uh, if you've never heard of our brand or if you're more interested in our brand now, I think is, is our website. That's where the most information is. It's www.notamu.com. We have a store finder there where you can find Notamu closest to you. Just put your zip code in or your address. We also have an e-commerce 
uh, set up where you can order Nautimu pints to be delivered directly to, to your doorstep. Read up on the company, um, you know, what's important to us. See some great uh, headshots of, of our team members. Um, I saw those. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, I it's love fun. it. I know. It's fun. You're going to have people go and look at them. They're very, it's very clever what they've done. And yeah. for you, I'll, I'll tag your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and and uh, definitely go to our Instagram handle at Nautimu. Uh, me personally at at Nautimu Dan is is my is my handle, and yeah, we we love to hear from from people who uh, who have either purchased our brand before or are interested in purchasing our our product now or in the future. Uh, visit our website. Look for us on social media. It's uh you know we're 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 not a moo and and for now we uh we are in the frozen dessert space and look forward to beginning to uh, launch some new items into some new and and fun categories. It sounds like we have a little bit of breaking news here on winning at work. You're <laughs> expanding. I love it. I love it. Hopefully this is the uh, this is the tipping point for you guys. Well, Daniel, absolutely fantastic to have another conversation with you this time recorded so everyone can hear this. This great story and kind of get behind you and your brand. And, you know, I encourage people to become brand evangelists and, you know, go ahead and get out there, try the product, you know, find something that you like, that you love, you know, get behind it. And this is how you help spread the influence, particularly if you, you know, believe in, in, in the mission. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us here today on Winning at Work. Tony, thank you so much. This has been a, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, I appreciate your time. Talk to you soon.